Mark, thank you. Mark, this is, this is uh, gonna embarrass you for a minute, which is my goal for the day. But um, uh, last week I went out to lunch after the service with a young couple and the guy, um, we're talking about faith, and the guy is playing uh, guitar in both a bluegrass band and a rock band. And um, when we got to lunch, he goes, can I ask you a question? And I said, yeah, he goes, like about Covenant? And I said, yeah, he goes, was that a Mark Earlwine up there? And I said, yeah, he goes, that guy's a legend. Did it, did it work? <laughs> um, just so you know, no one has ever said that about me, like ever. So it made me feel more like a legend that I know you. So thank you. Well, today, guys, we are finishing up this teaching series that we've been in for two months, uh, looking at Joseph from the book of Genesis. And we have followed Joseph over these two months in some pretty amazing ways, things that he's gone through. If you remember a couple months ago when we first encountered him, he was this kind of self-righteous young guy that was treated differently by his dad, was kind of the most favored child, was explicitly known in that, and he didn't try to humble himself, and he didn't try to kind of uh, act differently. He was like, yeah, I'm a big deal. Like when we first met him, he was this obnoxious self-centered guy going, yes, I'm a big deal. People should pay attention to me. People should treat me differently. All of my brothers are going to bow down to me, and that's okay because that's how good I am. We saw him though as his brothers honestly resented him for that and their response was that they sold him into slavery in Egypt. And when he got down, can you imagine that being sold by your brothers into slavery? And while he is a slave in Egypt, he is falsely accused of a crime, but as a slave he has no ability to defend himself. And so he is just thrown into jail, not for like a few years, but for the rest of his life. There was no chance of him getting out. And something happens to this obnoxious, self-centered, egotistical young guy in the years and years and years that he is in prison. And something that happens to him starts to change him. And one of the things we talked about is that people can change. And, and, and here's the deal. For me, I'm not the kind of person when most people go, yeah, I'm going like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to change my life. I want something to be done. I don't normally take a lot of stock in that. How many of you are still following your New Year's resolutions? We're not even at the end of February yet right? But people can change. Relationships can change. Patterns and behaviors can change. And it is often pain and struggle and difficulty, as we see in Joseph, where our hearts are reshaped and reformed. And Joseph in prison starts changing. The few things we know about the years he's been in prison, he started caring for other prisoners. The guards started trusting him to care for other prisoners. And one of the prisoners he cares about and cares for was a guy who was the chief cupbearer in the court of Pharaoh. Pharaoh, the, the king of Egypt. And, and Joseph interprets a dream one day for this cupbearer and tells him, you're going to get out and you're going to serve Pharaoh again. And when you do, remember me. And of course, that proves true, and this guy gets out of prison, and for years longer, he forgets about Joseph. He doesn't tell anybody about Joseph in prison. But Joseph keeps serving, and Joseph keeps reaching out to, to other prisoners, until one day, years later, Pharaoh himself has a dream, and it haunts him. And probably you've had dreams like that, you can't shake it when you wake up. It's something that you know that, that, that the Spirit is speaking to you. And so he asked people to interpret the dream, and no one can do it. And finally, the chief cupbearer goes, you know, I know a guy. 
I know a guy that might be able to help. And you imagine this scene that Joseph has been enslaved in Egypt and been a prisoner with no hope of getting out for years and years and years. And all of a sudden, for the first time in years, he's taken out of prison and thrown straight into the court of Pharaoh, the most powerful person in the world at that time, and told to interpret Pharaoh's dream. Well, Joseph does. And what he says is, Pharaoh, this dream means that there is going to be a famine where there's going to be no food for seven years in Egypt, and we better start preparing now. And so Pharaoh appoints Joseph to lead the nation and the empire in preparing for this famine that is to come. It's an incredible turn of events for Joseph. And as he goes into a position of power, one day we see that the famine has spread beyond Egypt and all throughout the world. And so there are people who are hungry and there are people who are starving who start coming from different countries who arrive in Egypt seeking help, seeking assistance. And under Joseph's leadership, they're not turned away. They are welcomed in to buy grain from the storehouses of Egypt. And, and, and that leads to an incredible set of circumstances where Joseph's brothers in Canaan who sold him as a slave, come down to Egypt seeking food. And they encounter their brother. And last week as we looked at it, Joseph reveals himself. His brothers see him and they're just looking for food. They don't recognize him. They bow down as Joseph saw in his dreams. And Joseph then last week we saw reveals himself to his brothers. And he has to look at them and say, do the hard work you and I are called to do where we've been hurt, which is the work of forgiving them. The only way that he'll find freedom in his own heart and his own life, doesn't matter how much money he has, doesn't matter how much power he has, doesn't matter how much prestige he has, doesn't matter how many awards he gets, without the ability to forgive, his heart will be captive to pain of what they've done to him, and he finds the ability to forgive them of what they've done. It's an amazing journey, and it ends today with a short passage of Scripture that is both very funny and very moving. This is after the brothers go back up to Canaan to get their father, Jacob, who believes that Joseph is dead. And so, so they went up out of Egypt and came to their father, Jacob, in the land of Canaan. And they told him, Joseph is alive. Whoops. Right? Like, you imagine that conversation. Hey, the guy we told you was dead? We got some of the details of that wrong. Right? Joseph is alive. He is even ruler over all the land of Egypt. He was stunned. Jacob was stunned. He could not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph that he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, enough. My son Joseph is still alive. I must go and see him before I die. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us all today on the journey that we are on, that you are writing a story, a great story in our lives. May we get more and more in touch with that today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so you need to know that when we do a two-month series where we are tracing a little bit of scripture uh, and following a life rather than jumping around to different places, I love those kinds of series because it allows us to see a lot more depth in the story and layers in the text than if we just sort of jump around using a theme. 
Wick knows this. Other people know this. I teach twice a month a, a, a Bible study, a men's Bible study in downtown for people who, uh, for guys who want to be a part of it. And they're people of all different ages that come to a restaurant in downtown twice a month. I love these kinds of series. This is my, almost the end of my third year of doing it. And we are in our third year of look, working our way through the book of Luke. And I don't know that we're going to finish it this year. It may bleed into year four, right? Like, it's just so good to see the depth of these texts rather than just kind of jumping along the surface of them. And I love what we've seen here in Joseph. And I want you to know as we complete this series today, I appreciate how you all have both seen and engaged the layers of the text that are there. I know that for some of you, the title of this series, Joseph, A Story of Redemption, feels right on the money because you can relate to Joseph and what he's going through. You can relate to somebody who's, who's uh, maybe pretty egotistical and self-centered and other people are, resent him for it. Or maybe you can relate to the idea of family who abused or treated you in terrible ways like his brother did. Maybe you are dealing with that kind of pain and that kind of alienation still today. Maybe you are somebody, and I have been moved by the stories I've heard of people in this community who have talked about how in their life, periods of pain and struggle and difficulty, while they might not want to go through them or might not want to go through them again, are the times when their lives have become different, where they can look back and say, I used to be more like this, and now I'm more like this. And just like Joseph, that wasn't because I determined that I needed to make different decisions, because that doesn't last, but it was somehow through pain and struggle and difficulty and turmoil that Patterns became different in my life and God changed me from the inside out and I can relate to that story of redemption. I know that there are many of you who can relate to the story that Joseph had to struggle through and go through last week where he looked at and forgave his brothers. I have been grateful this week for those of you who have shared how that journey has been a part of your walk as well and the freedom that you have found over pain, how you've kind of moved beyond the point of learning to cope with it or learning to get by, but saying that our calling is clear when we have been hurt and that calling is difficult, but it is unavoidable if we want to be free and that is the work of forgiveness. And I've been moved by those of you who have related to me this week the way that you're trying to do that through the pain that you are walking through now. And I want you to know that I continue to stand with you in prayer. And if you re relate to Joseph in this story of redemption, of broken parts of life and broken relationships coming back together and being reshaped and remolded in new ways, if that speaks to you, that layer is there and it is real and it is good. But I know others of you who have related to other parts of the text. I had somebody who wrote me, was like, man, in my opinion, the series has is, is, is got the wrong title. This is about, this is Jacob and a story of redemption. Jacob, who people can relate to as well on that layer. Maybe somebody who as a parent realizes that you've done some things that aren't perfect. Maybe you have some regrets as a parent because Jacob makes some real mistakes as a dad when he looks at all of his sons and goes, I want you all to know you are not my favorite. This section Y'all are not my favorite. This section, favorite. Y'all, not. I mean, it, it leaves scars, right? It, it, it hurts in that. And sometimes as parents, people have made very real mistakes. Not you, Whitney. You're on the good side. But, the, but, but those things are real. I know others who relate to Jacob because they feel like that even if they've made mistakes as parents, the response of their children and the things that they have been blamed for by their children seems unreasonable given what they did 
And the pain of that and the hardship of that they relate to as well. And we can also relate to the idea of redemption in this beautiful passage of Scripture where it says that Jacob was revived. That he goes from this older person who is scared, who is kind of withered, who is living in fear in his life, as we saw uh, in the last couple of chapters, to someone who is revived, that God isn't done with his story yet, no matter what his age says that he is. I know others of you who can relate on a totally different level, and that later isn't primarily to Joseph, and it's not primarily to Jacob, but it's to the brothers. And that story is part of this story of redemption as well. I know, and one of the goals that I wanted to do in this series is to humanize these guys a little bit. Because it's important we see that they didn't just wake up one day in a vacuum going, let's do this really awful thing because we just feel like it. These guys live with years of their own father looking at him saying, you do not matter as much as my other child. The wound that that creates in them is real. And I have been grateful for those of you who could engage at that level, who are walking through the difficulty and the pain that you may be experiencing, that maybe family, maybe even your own parents inflicted on you years ago that is still a burden that you carry today. But we can also relate to them, all of us, can't we? Because the thing they do in response to their wound is unjustifiable. And all of us can relate to that. The things that you would look back on in your life and say, I am embarrassed that I did that. I am embarrassed that I said that. I am embarrassed at how I conducted myself there. This thing that I did was wrong. And what we see in the story of redemption is that these brothers, as they come face to face with Joseph last week and are forgiven, that we see that God's response to when you and I make mistakes is God gives us second chances and third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances, that God doesn't want us to sit in the guilt of those pain and the guilt of those bad decisions. But God says, no, you've got to learn from it, but you can move forward in your life. So if we relate to all of these different levels, these layers in the text, who's right? Who is this story really about? Is it about Joseph and the change that happens in his life? Is it about Jacob and the change that happens in his life? Is it about the brothers and the change that happens in their life? Is it about the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, who, as Joseph said last week, their line as God's covenant people are going to continue despite the famine because they will survive longer? Is it about the Egyptians, whom God obviously shows his favor and his love to as well in this time? Is it about the other nations? I mean, you think about the fact that nations survive because Joseph is in Egypt, sold as a slave. It's remarkable all the different threads that run through this story. And I think what we see in the end, and what I would like you to hold on to today, if there is nothing else that you remember from these months of studying Joseph, is this. That this story is about God. That this is God's story. That God is the one doing this work. That God is the one taking these broken pieces and fashioning them back together in hope that God is the one who is doing this work in in Joseph's life and Jacob's life and in the brother's life. And that is something that I really, really want you to hold on to because what it says in the scriptures is that if the story is about God, then God is unchanging. 
That God, as the scriptures say, is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, from everlasting to everlasting. And so the God that was working in Joseph's life and Jacob's life and in the brother's life and in Israel's life and in Egypt's life and in the other nations that gathered together, that God working thousands of years ago doing the work of redemption is still the God who is working here today. You see, if it's God's story, it's not just some historical idea of what happened a long time ago, but it is the story that God is continuing to write now, today. The story becomes yours. The story becomes mine. The story is ours. And that changes everything. If there's nothing else that you remember today, I want you to remember that because this is gospel. This is good news because what we see in the text is all of us are included in this and it's not about whether we deserve it or not. And this is so important. The idea of redemption is the story of grace. It's not about that some of the brothers deserved it this much and Joseph deserved it this much and Jacob probably deserved it this much. God is writing a story of redemption in all of their lives because God values them all equally. And God loves and values you as well and is writing that story today. And if you don't know that, we spend the rest of our lives searching for belonging that God already says is ours. As we go through this journey of Lent, one of the things that we're going to be invited to do as a church is beyond just the reading of the Psalms, this daily reading that I hope that you will engage We've been invited in both small groups and individually in his families to engage this book. This is a book called The Liturgy of the Ordinary by Tish Warren. Tish is an Anglican priest who worked for InterVarsity, lived here in Austin until recently. She is a really, really special person and a gifted writer, and I want to commend this book to you. This book is accessible, this book is practical, and it is really interesting. And part of what she's writing in this is about how it is that we experience God in our normal day-to-day life, that we don't have to wait for this big event to happen in order for God to be there. But how do you and I learn every single day to see the fingerprints of God on our life? And the first chapter, if any of you have read it yet, is that, is that Tish writes about um, how we're supposed to wake up in the morning. And she says that when we wake up in the morning, that the first thing that we're called to do, if we want to have any kind of productive day, is that we need to begin the day by remembering this lesson from the Joseph series, that we are loved and valued and claimed by God. She talks about Luther and theologian Martin Marty, who learned as a young boy every day that the first thing he does when he opens his eyes, before he starts thinking about the to-do list or school or homework or tests or who's going to be hanging out with who or what I have to do at work or what carpools I have to drive or what I'm hoping for today or what I'm praying for even, that the first thing Martin Marty was taught to do as a young child was to make the sign of a cross on himself. To remember from the first moment he opens his eyes that I am loved. I am claimed, I belong, I am God's, and that God has forgiven me and loves me, and God's grace will be enough for me as I go through the day. And what Tish writes about is that if we don't start every single day with that knowledge in our head, then we are going to run through our to-do list and our busyness trying to prove that we belong, trying to prove that we are valued. We're like children who come running to their parents going, look what I made on a test, or I made the sports team, or I made the honor roll. It's like that 
Children often do that because they're looking at their parents going, I want you to know I'm important. I want you to be proud of me. I want you to be valued. And that we as adults do the same thing. Look how successful I am. Look how much I've done. Look at all these amazing things. Look at my job. Look at what college I got into. Look at this. I am somebody. I am worth something. I am a success in life. And Tish is saying that if we're looking for those things to fill us up to overflowing, it will never, ever, ever be enough that we start every day going, I am beloved before I succeed or fail at anything. That is my core identity. This is God's story. It's the story he is still writing here today. That when Joseph was in a a prison cell in Egypt, falsely accused of a crime, that God wasn't done writing the story in Joseph's life yet, but was at the beginning of writing a whole new story of remaking and redeeming and rebuilding. That as Jacob wallowed away in his older years, fearful and full of sadness and regret, that God wasn't done writing the story in Jacob's life. And he is revived at the end and able to go see his son. That as the brothers make this horrible mistake and do this horrible act of selling Joseph into slavery, that God isn't done redeeming their story yet either. And friends, God is not done redeeming yours as well. This is not a person's story. This is God's story. And he is writing it in your life still today. One of the coolest things that happened to me in this series was a number of weeks ago at our 9.30 service, I often go out and greet people on the way out of the service. And as I was greeting people, there was a, a, a gentleman near the end of the line who came up to me, and we had been talking about Jacob and talking about what had happened to him as a father and Joseph and the brothers. And this gentleman looked at me and said, I need your prayers. I need your prayers because I'm Jacob. And I've lost touch with my child. I've made mistakes as a parent. I think she's made mistakes well, but we have cut off from each other. We don't see each other anymore. We don't have anything to do with each other anymore. I am Jacob. Can God really redeem my story? Well, I've been praying for him, praying for his family. Praying for this walk that he is on, a walk that all of us have in different ways, a walk where we are broken shards of our life that are jagged and wounded. And last Sunday, this gentleman came by me in the line, beaming with his phone out, and said, I want you to see I was able to track my daughter down, and this week we reunited in Dallas. And here's the photo that the waiter at the restaurant took of us back together. And then he said, what an amazing God we worship who could make this possible. And that is the story of what God is writing in your life here today. Hallelujah and amen. Let's pray. Lord, as broken people who have made mistakes, as broken people in need of a new start, of forgiveness, of grace, of hope, may we be filled with hope today. Hope that you can take the broken pieces of our life just as you did for the people in this story and that you will write and are writing a story of redemption for us now. 
Allow us to live with certainty and with hope and with expectation that as your beloved children, we are not forgotten, we are not alone, we are not struggling without you. But meet us and write your story in our hearts and our lives as well. Form something new. 